Thank you very much. I don't know about all of you, but I could have listened to the, that previous panel go on for another hour at least. When astronaut Jim Lovell of Apollo 13 fame was circling the moon, he looked back on Earth and called our planet a grand oasis in the great vastness of space. That's extremely unusual eloquence for an astronaut. You won't be hearing any, any more of that uh, this afternoon. Um, I'm going to uh, gonna leave the discussion of the space program to the, the brief question, question section. I'll try to hold myself just to uh, six or seven minutes, so we've got a little bit of time for questions. But I thought it would be appropriate for this group, uh, particularly with the grad, the grad students in the audience, to hear just a little bit about how I got involved in the space program. I was a graduate student at Stanford University, just a couple of months away from getting my PhD in physics. When I was sitting in the Stanford student cafeteria one Tuesday morning, about 8 in the morning, drinking coffee, trying to stay awake, because I'd been up a little bit too late the night before. And I opened the, the Stanford student newspaper, the Stanford Daily, and I still remember to this day seeing in the lower right-hand corner of page 3 of the Stanford Daily an ad that NASA had had put in the Daily and in other university newspapers around the country saying that they were accepting applications for astronauts. Now, that was a really big deal at the time, and it was a big deal for a couple of reasons. So that the first reason was that it had been over 10 years since any astronauts at all had been accepted into the space program. So there were 10 years worth of people waiting to apply. But the second reason, of course, was that this was the first time that NASA had announced that they were planning to bring women into the astronaut corps. And in fact, that's the reason that they put advertisements in university newspapers and corporate newsletters around the country, because they were afraid that if they didn't, the qualified women would never find out about the opportunity and wouldn't even know that they could, that they could apply. So as you might imagine, I, I ripped that ad out of the newspaper, checked the yes, please send me more information, and stuffed it in the first mailbox that I saw on my way back to the physics department. And my father did not have a scientific bone in his body. He was about to have a daughter with a PhD in astrophysics. My father did not know what astrophysics was. My father could not explain to his friends what his daughter was about to do for a living. Then I became an astronaut, and my father's problems were over. <laughs> he understood. All his friends understood. He was a very, very happy man. Well, I got to go on uh, to be one of the very lucky, very few people who've had a chance to launch on a rocket, float weightless in space, and look out the window of the space shuttle back at uh, the wonderful world that we live on and get a perspective that very, very few people have had a, had a chance to, uh, to gain. When I was growing up, I remember uh, teachers in my fourth grade class wheeling one of the big old television sets in into our classroom so that we could look at uh, some of the old space shots, the original early, early space shots. And even then, I was just fascinated by the space program. But of course, at the time, um, there were no female role models for me to look up to. There were certainly none in the space program. There were no astronauts, of course, who were female, and virtually uh, no scientists or engineers at NASA who were female. There were very few women in science, and those who were in science were not held up by the media, so they were, they were virtually invisible to kids of my generation um, growing up. And role models, as probably most of you know, are absolutely critical. 
they show kids, boys and girls, that they can grow up to be whatever they want to be if they just put in the time and the effort and, and the dedication, whether they want to be journalists, uh, whether they want to be lawyers, or whether they want to be astronauts. And all of you are role models or potential role models to kids growing up today. And please don't underestimate the impact that you can have on the lives of not just a few kids, but many, many, many kids. Those of you who doubt that, let me just uh, uh, close with, a, uh, with a, a true story. This actually happened to me uh, about three weeks after landing from my, my first flight. And for those of you who were uh, not around or not watching television uh, way back during my first, my first flight, let me just set the stage a little bit. Um, if you were watching television the month before the flight or reading the newspaper the month before the flight, you would have thought I was the only person on that crew. Uh, all the focus was on me, all the publicity was on me, the other crew members uh, were rarely, if ever, if ever mentioned, and it was, uh, it was a, a major media production when I, uh, when I had a chance to launch into space. Well, a couple, a couple of uh, weeks after I landed, I was um, having lunch with a friend in New York City and someone that neither of us knew came up to our table and um, asked if she could sit down. And we said, I guess so. <laughs> and she said, you know, I, I really need to tell you this story. And she told us uh, the following story. Uh, she has a, had a son, about uh, four or five years old, who had just discovered the space program. And he was one of these passionate kids who just got completely absorbed and enthralled and this happened about six months before my, my first flight. And so, you know, she had to buy him the flight suits and the helmets, and uh, he knew everything there was to know about the space shuttle. He knew the thrust of the engines. I mean, this kid knew more than I did about, about the space shuttle. And the big event in his young life that he was looking forward to was the next space shuttle launch, which happened to be ours, because it was going to be televised. It was something that he could watch. He could actually participate in the, in the space program. So as, the, as the, morning, uh, the morning came, we launched very early in the morning. This kid was up with his mother at 4 in the morning waiting, for, waiting three hours for the shuttle, the shuttle launch. He was in his flight suit, counting down with a countdown clock, glued to the television set. Um, and he and his mother watched as the countdown clock got to, got to zero and we took off and his mother, um, you know, probably in some relief, went off to the kitchen to get a break from, a break from all this. And uh, just a couple of minutes later, she heard her son crying and she thought something had gone wrong with the flight. So she came running back into the room and said, you know, what, what's happened? Is the flight okay? Are they, you know, is everything all right? And he said, oh, the flight's fine. And he was just sobbing. And uh, she said, well, what's the matter? And he, he looked up to her and said, Mommy, can little boys grow up to be astronauts too? <laughs> As I said, that's a, that's a true story. Thank you. And I'd be happy to answer questions for a couple minutes. Good evening, ma'am. My name is James Valpiani from the US Air Force Academy. I'm just curious what, how you envision the future of the Human Space Exploration Program. Well, that's a, a, an excellent and very timely question because after the, the Columbia accident, as you know, the space shuttle's been grounded now for over a year. It'll be grounded for probably almost another year before, uh, before the shuttle returns to flight. And uh, both the analysis of the Columbia accident 
um, and its grounding have given the country first reason and then time to consider what the future of space exploration um, is, what, how we want to pursue space exploration in this, this country. Um, some of you may know that, that President Bush in early January announced um, a new space initiative. Um, and the elements of that initiative included retiring the shuttle in 2010, which is probably a good idea. It's been around for, for a long time. Replacing it um, a couple of years later with uh, something called a crew exploration vehicle and using that as a way to get us beyond Earth's orbit uh, to the moon first by 2015, 2016, 2017, and then later in the late 2020s, um, no date specified, on to Mars. Now, um, the country for a long time has needed a good overarching vision of the space program. Where ultimately do we intend to go? Because that determines what you build in order to, to get there. It helps you set the whole infrastructure of your space program. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, a good vision. Um, virtually no money has been put behind it yet. And of course, this is something that requires, uh, requires probably more than a little bit, little bit of money, at least in the, uh, the next uh, decade or so. And so it, I think it remains to be seen what the country decides uh, about uh, the future of, of human exploration in this, in this country. Uh, we're at the stage where we, we could go from being one of only two countries in the world that have, have ever had the capability of putting people in space. Um, United States and, and Russia are the only two countries that can actually launch and return people to and from space uh, to uh, not having that capability anymore. I think that would be a very, very sad day. Um, but it'll just be over the next maybe six or eight months that this debate is going to unfold. So I think uh, stay tuned is probably the, the answer to your question. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much.